0: I love the church, I love that we get to be family, I love that we get to be together and the whole point of this, you know, in Hebrews it says we shouldn't neglect the gathering of the saints, actually because we equip and stir each other up to love and good works. And so when we get together we're stirred to love one another, to love the Lord, to love others and also that there's righteous deeds that come from the body because we're in His righteousness. So we have an expectation that these times, I always like to picture it as the war room on the earth. It's like the war room of heaven on the earth, because how many of you know this isn't church? This is just an expression of it. But actually when we're together in the week, in the homes, and as we're meeting uh, in coffee shops and whatever we do, um, it's so beautiful to know that there's an expression of the body of Christ being lived out every day wherever we go. Um, So I always view this time, I'm like, man, it's so beautiful that we get to come together enthrone Jesus, love Him, worship Him, but also that we're equipped in the truth so that we can be who God's called us to be and see the expression of God on the earth through His body. So it's a beautiful thing to be a part of the church. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you this morning to speak to your soul. I don't know if you, you knew you could do that, but you can, right? So you're going to speak to your soul, and you're going to say, soul, come alive today. <laughs> and uh, I do that often, and I'll tell you why. Because my spirit man is, is there's a scripture, um, there's a fire shut up in my bones. Sometimes I feel that. Like, I don't know if you ever have that, where you, my body doesn't actually know what to do with it. Um, but there are some days where my soul is just tired. And I have to speak to my soul and say, uh, let me just remind you who you are. Do you know that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God? Do you know that you're alive in Him? Do you know that you've been set free and liberated to be everything that He created you to be? See, some of you got to keep telling your souls because it's life-changing, and the gospel's got to be real to us every day. Amen? That's what keeps us in a place of joy. And we say something around here often, we say uh, joy engine. I say it to our staff all the time, we want to operate from a joy engine. It's like, if we lose joy, we lose Jesus, right? Because it's impossible not to be joyful when you're looking at Him. So even in the midst of great suffering and pain, and, and, and you go, oh, dude, you don't understand. Well, um, we have friends who we, we have conversations with who've been tortured and, uh, and abused, and things have happened. This is obviously in the Middle East, and... And, uh, and then you ask questions like, how, how do you get through that stuff? And their answer is always the same, joy. And there's this revelation of joy that even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of persecution like we don't even understand, something sustains them way beyond situation and circumstance. And it's the joy of the gospel. It's the joy of our salvation. It's knowing that we've been saved from this world, that we're born again in Him, and we're called to live a new life. Amen? So I, I, my prayer today is that you would receive fresh revelation of the gospel. Um, you know, when you're tired, you, what you don't need, like I, I've been in that place, you're tired, and the first thing you think is, I need a holiday. No, what you need is a fresh revelation of the gospel. And when you get that, then go and have a holiday. That's awesome. But what's really going to bring rest to your soul is a fresh revelation of who He is, the goodness of God, His hand on your life. And uh, so even today, if, if you, as my dad was just praying, if, you, if you're in that place and you're tired and it's been maybe a little difficult, I want to encourage you, like, Pity and, and that kind of stuff, there's, there's no real life there. Life is in, is, is in allowing the revelation of Jesus to be renewed and refreshed by the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. Because you know what happens? You realize that all that stuff died in the grave and that you were raised to new life in Him. Amen? Well, I think it's quite exciting. So. There's two things on my heart today. But I think I'm going to start somewhere. We'll see uh, where we go. But uh, with our team preparing uh, for Turkey, I uh, got excited because we've we've had some great conversations uh, in the past week. And I've been having some private conversations with the guys over there. And just stirring my heart because uh, if you don't know, a lot of what you read in the book of Acts happened in uh, modern-day Turkey, what's now Turkey. And uh, we'll be taking our team to Ephesus or the ruins of Ephesus um, and to Ismia, which only 100 years ago the name changed. It's actually Smirna. Um And so what you read about in the book of Revelation, uh, that letter to Smyrna, we're going to go there. Um, and I'm excited because I believe that the Lord's going to just begin to stir the dream of God once again uh, in us as a house to begin to, to carry his heart. But um, as we've been preparing for this, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, the Apostle John, his his grave, tradition and, and history suggests, and, and there's a lot of evidence towards this, that his grave is is there in Ephesus, um, and uh, and there's incredible stories, uh, not only his grave, but also the house that him and Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived in, uh, and there's so many stories of people going to his grave or going into this house and being healed. That's that's crazy, right? That's, that's wild. Um, I mean, we're, we're 2,000 years on, and people are still walking just on the ground or the area where these people were. Now, it's not to elevate these people, but it is certainly, I think it stirs something in my heart around what they carried. And, uh, and so if you go into this home, there are crutches and wheelchairs and things on the walls, apparently. Mama Krista probably could tell you more. Um, but uh, because people walked in there and got healed. And so I was just praying, and I got excited about that. I, just from it, like a kid, I, just, I was like, man, I'm going to go and see these places, and I'm excited. And as I was preparing for today, last night, I felt the Lord uh, say something to me as I was falling asleep. And it, it kind of shifted things for today. Um, he said this. He said, Connor, what do you think John saw? And this is happening as I'm falling asleep. He goes, what did you think John saw? And, and I was like, well he saw a lot, Lord. You know, I was like trying to think, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what are you trying to say to me? And the next thing, I'm trying to fall asleep, and all I'm thinking about is, wow. Here's this young man. um, Historians and theologians would say they believe John to be the youngest of the twelve. Here's this young man who, some would say he was a follower of John the Baptist, him and Andrew at first, that when it talks in John about the two disciples that Uh, followed him, and then saw they met Jesus, and then followed Jesus. Some suggest that John was one of them. And if he was, it would be really interesting because he was following John the Baptist, understanding this message of repentance, and something was beginning to shift. And John the Baptist was beginning to prophesy that there's coming one greater than I. And, uh, And John was preparing the way for the bridegroom king. Right? And so can you imagine, if, if you're following, think of Andrew and, and, and potentially John, following John the Baptist, hearing this language of the Messiah's coming, and we're preparing the way, and, and, and what it looked like is a life that was completely separate from society and from the world. Right? So the model that they had around this language of Jesus is coming or the Messiah is coming was a man who cut himself free from the things of this world and began to live a life consecrated unto him. And, uh, and, and he was pretty, pretty weird, right? And wild. I mean... He ate locusts and things, so. But he's this forerunner, and so they follow this forerunner, and then, and then in 1 John, we might go there in a second, or John 1, sorry, uh, we see that, that Jesus comes, and, and John's pretty much, John the Baptist has said, this is the one, this is the one I was talking about, this is the Messiah. And then the, the two disciples ask Jesus this question, where are you staying? Where are you dwelling? I like that question. So for me, I was going, okay, hold on. John's journey, John the disciple, his journey started potentially, a lot of theologians would say it was him, around a question, this is the Messiah. Where are you dwelling? Where are you staying? That's that's where we want to be, right? And so I began to think, okay, so here's John the disciple. He sees Jesus. He asks this question. Jesus eventually you know, calls him to follow him, and he follows Jesus. Now, he's walking with the Lamb of God. He's walking with the one who John the Baptist prophesied about. He's beginning to see signs, wonders, and miracles. And then he begins to build this relationship with Jesus because he's, he's starting to understand the heart of God through Jesus, right? He's the one who calls himself basically Jesus' favorite, you know? like the one that Jesus loved, as if he didn't love the rest. It's like he, he, there was something he was catching around the heart of the Father through the Son for him. Okay? And so he's walking this, he begins to see these signs, wonders, miracles, and then there's this moment where uh, him and, and Peter and James are taken up with Jesus, and he sees the transfiguration, he sees Jesus go into this realm of glory. Right? I mean, I, that's wild. Again, like I, just, I always remind myself, stop reading the Bible like it's a fantasy story. Just put yourself there for a second. Go, okay, cool. Three out of the 12 are invited to come up with Jesus. You get up there, and the next thing, he's taken into this glory realm, and you're seeing Moses and Elijah, and, and there's this, this glory prophetic picture of what he's about to do. He's fulfilling the law and the prophets and, and, and now you see him in glory and he doesn't look like a normal earthly man anymore. Now he's radiant and shining. And then the next thing you hear this voice of the Father speaking over, this is my son, listen to him. And, you know, and I love Peter. Peter's gutsy, right? Like, I don't know about you, but most of us would just be like, dude, keep quiet and watch, right? But Peter goes, we should build some tents. Let's build three tents and let's, let's do something for God. And, and I'm going, okay, but what did John See, now I'm going, okay, that was Peter, Peter's response. I kind of feel like Peter sometimes. You just end up saying things, and then afterwards you go, that was silly. But I look at John, I was like, what was happening? with?" I think John was getting wrapped up. He's the youngest of the 12. He's, he's beholding something. I can guarantee you what was going through their heads was like, oh, my word, we get to, we get to see this. Why us? Why th-? The three of us were invited to come and behold this, and Jesus says to them, don't say anything yet. Don't tell anyone what, don't tell anyone what you've seen until later. So they come down that mountain. They don't even tell the others yet. They're processing this like, oh my goodness, I just saw the king of glory. Okay? So again, what did John see? Again, more miracles, signs, wonders. He begins to listen to, to Jesus' parables and his teachings. And something's happening to the heart of John. And I love if you read his uh, or the gospel according to John, it's different to the others. It's the same kind of stories and accounts, but I don't know if you know this, but there are seven miracles and seven I am statements from Jesus that John highlights. Seven, seven in his gospel. And if you've been in our Bible study, how many times are we seeing seven, 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 seven in the book of Revelation? Same writer. So, so John is getting wrapped up in the man Jesus. He's starting to get a vision for God. And he writes this, and, and, and then he's in, he writes out the upper room discord, and, and you see he remembers details and things about what Jesus said, teachings. And, uh, and I like this about John. I, I, the way he remembered it moves me. If you read John 14, 15, 16, 17, it's like, wow, you remembered, you remembered this. This, is, this. John was so intentional about the words of Jesus. He was so uh, focused on listening and receiving, and that's why he, he was beginning to catch the heart of God. I'm leading to somebody, so just follow me here. And so, can you imagine, he's, he hears all of this and, and, you know, there's two disciples when Jesus gets arrested and, and he's going to be beaten and crucified, there's two disciples that actually follow him, sneakily, but they follow him. One is Peter and the other is John. And uh, so we know Peter, he's the one, the story kind of amplifies his, you know, he follows Jesus and then he denies Jesus three times and we all go like, ah, Peter. Um, but it's funny that John was the one at the foot of the cross with Mary right? And so again, I go, what did John see? John's John's at the foot of the cross. He's beholding the Lamb of God that he's been following. First question, where do you dwell? Where do you stay? He wanted to just be with this man. He's been on this whole journey, and now he finds himself at the foot of the cross with the mother of Jesus. He's looking at him. He witnesses Jesus being pierced in his side, blood and water come out, I just want you to, I'm asking you to get a grip here of what John saw. You get me? I'm just, I'm telling you what God did in my heart last night. So I see, I'm picturing this, and then I, I, I'm like putting myself in John's shoes, and then Jesus turns to John, and he goes, Mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And we've always told that story in the context of Jesus really cared about his mom, and amen, like, I believe that. Jesus really cared about his earthly mom, and he was saying, Take care of my mom, Right. But more than that, I also believe here is John beholding Jesus, witnessing blood and water come out of his side, the birth of the bride of Christ, blood and water, out of his side, co-heir, equal. He doesn't know this yet, but he's witnessing this. He's seeing this happen, something stirring in his heart. Then he's also now given responsibility to care for the woman who was called to carry the Son of God, the nature and person of Jesus, and birth him on the earth. It's another picture of the church and the bride, okay? And he's asked to take care of, of Mary. And he lives his life honoring that. He actually did take care of her, and she lived with John. And he, he took her in like his own mother. And he ends up in Ephesus, which is where history says he died. Now, in the process of all of that, he also, later on, gets arrested and taken to the island of Patmos, which is, we've been studying, it's where he writes Revelation. Do you know what Patmos means? It means my killing. Interesting. So he gets taken to Patmos, mainly because they couldn't actually kill him. History records that. Uh, uh, Tertullian and Arrhenius, these early writers in the church, actually wrote that they put him in boiling oil, and he came out unscathed supernatural. He he wouldn't die, right? Now, I don't know, most of them write that he was literally fine. Nothing happened to his body. It was a supernatural thing. So he came out of that. They couldn't kill him, so they throw him onto an island called My Killing. And it's on an island, a prison island called My Killing, where he goes into the spirit and he catches another deeper revelation of the Son of God. From the beginning to the end of his life, John is getting wrapped up in a vision of God. Right? So I began to think about this, and I said, okay, hold on. Here is a man, and he's one of many. I mean, there's so many stories of martyrs and followers of Jesus. But here is a man who abandoned his life, gave everything to follow Jesus. Why? Why? I believe that John got a vision of God in his life, and when that happens to somebody, you will never be the same again. It's real simple. But this moved my heart because I, I thought, what, what causes a man to endure like that? What causes a man to carry the gospel faithfully day in and day out in the midst of pain, in the midst of persecution? Because they, 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 they reckon that the, the epistles uh, that he wrote, the 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, uh, and the Gospel of John, he, he wrote them in Ephesus. And so after Patmos, he ended up back in Ephesus. And there's some some writers who say that even in his old age, he couldn't walk, right? And so they would put him on a stretcher and carry him into the church, and he would lie on the ground and preach the gospel to the church. There's something about this man that was just stirring in my heart. And then if you go to, to 1 John, let's just, I want to quickly highlight something there. S- suddenly these words just carried more weight. Sorry, John 1. I keep saying 1 John. The book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 1. This is the, the, the passage we all know, but, but I want you to understand this. John has been beholding Jesus. He's given up everything. He gave up his business. He left the fishing nets to follow him, right? And he never, he never went back. And then he begins to write, like, think about this. Look at all the other Gospels. They introduce the the genealogy of Jesus. They begin to explain things. All beautiful and helpful. But this moves me that this is where John starts. In the beginning was the Word. What is he wrapped up in? Revelation. Book of Revelation. First sentence. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Interesting way to start. He starts his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. (laughs) Maybe this is just for me, but I'm going like, this language has a whole, it's capturing my heart in a whole new way. I'm like, he saw something. He saw that everything was wrapped up in Jesus. He, He was getting a vision of God in his life, and it was doing something to him. I think maybe what the church needs more than ever is a vision of God in their life. I, I think maybe we're, we're trying to get something and trying to understand something rather than trying to get wrapped up in the reality of who He is, knowing that my brain is not going to ever fully comprehend. If there's anything that the book of Revelation is showing us now, it's like stop trying to figure it out. He didn't write it that way. For example, I don't think John wrote the beginning of his gospel for you to figure it out. I think he's saying like in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And he's going and everything that was made was made in him and through him. And so this is not language that goes, "Ah, that intellectually makes sense on how God did it." This is like this is the wonder of him. This is wait, wait, he he was there in the beginning. He is the fulfillment of the dream of God. He is the master plan of heaven. He is the mystery of the ages. He is the fulfillment of God's dream. I don't know if, you, if this is like it's, like... it's like God took the brain out of John and took him into the spirit and said, your brain will come. You'll get understanding. But you've got to come into Revelation first. So he begins to say this. And he says, "And, and uh, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now you've heard too many sermons, right? And so that's why this is like normal language to you. But picture writing this or reading this for the first time. Just think about that. In him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now he's going back. I'm telling you, John is seeing the beginning. He's seeing the end. He's seeing the middle. He's going, the whole thing is him. He's getting so wrapped up in this man. He's going, I don't know how this makes sense to my brain, but the more I'm getting to know Jesus, the more I've seen Him, the more my spirit man is realizing it's Him. And, and you might be sitting here going, dude, what are you saying? I'm going, I don't even know. I don't even think He knew. I think it was just like you have to see Him. You have to get a vision of Him. And when you begin to see Him, something happens in your life that causes you to abandon everything, to forsake all else for the blessedness of knowing Him. Why, Why are these men and women of God that we read about, you look at Paul and he's going, everything I had, I counted all as loss for the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's not just a good scripture. There's a reality to what he's saying. What is that? Nobody can intellectually explain that. What do you mean that the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Jesus is better than anything else you could possibly have or know? How do you intellectually explain that? You can't. It hits you here. And once the Spirit of God has illuminated this revelation in your heart, you know what I'm talking about. But it doesn't come from your head. It comes from the Spirit of Jesus. And it's interesting that he says that the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that he said. He will lead you into all truth. So we, we can be confident that if we walk in the Spirit, he will lead us into all truth. But if there's one thing we're learning as a church, it's that this was definitely not written intellectually. This is the language of God. This is the language of the Spirit. Anyway, he, he begins to talk about, John the Baptist, and he explains the journey, and it's so beautiful, but there's a part that I want to just highlight. Oh, There's so many, but for the sake of time. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going like, Lord, I need you to, Start pulling layers and and veils, because <laughs> just listen to that. He's, he's saying, and the Word became flesh. The Word, who's Jesus, who was there in the beginning, he became flesh, and then he dwelt among us. This is the same guy who potentially asked the question, Rabbi, where do you dwell? I'm just trying to paint this like big picture. You, know, you see what I'm saying? What did he see? We beheld his glory. And the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's how he describes Jesus, full of grace and truth. John bore witness, he's speaking of John the Baptist, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me uh, is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now this is, I love this, listen to this. Again, read it like it's the first time you've ever read it. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace or grace upon grace. Like my prayers. this morning, Lord, rip the Christianese thing off our heads and just go, hold on. And of His fullness we have received. What? What is He saying? I think He saw something. I think He began to see the dream of God. I think He was getting wrapped up in the wonder of God, and He was going, this fullness, of this fullness we've all received, and it's grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. What is he saying? He's going like, no one has seen God up until this point, but now the only begotten Son, He's become our vision of God. He's declared Him to us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did John see? I don't think he saw a ministry. I don't think he just saw signs, wonders. I don't think he just saw a prophet. I think he saw the Son of God and beheld him in his glory and began to catch a revelation of the dream of heaven. It's interesting to me that none of them who followed Jesus, none of them went back to what they were doing before. Not one. Not even Thomas, who gets a really bad rap, but he died as a martyr for Jesus. He was wild. And I go, hey, he touched the holes in his hands on the side. Like, what did they see? You know, because here's the interesting thing. Like, (laughs) I don't know whether they kept all the fish, but when Jesus called them, you know, the encounter was... the. The net got so full that the boat started sinking so much fish, and then Jesus says, come follow me, and says they dropped the nets. So I don't know, maybe they kept the fish and used it to support them for the next three years. That's a valid point. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they had the greatest business breakthrough in their life, and they left it behind. I'm not saying that, I'm just suggesting. I'm going, hey, what did they see? Because can you imagine? If if the perspective was what Jesus can do for me, I mean, come on, you just filled my boat with fish. Whoa, let's not go there. I'll follow you, but I'll follow you around here, the fishing business. Because you fill boats with fish. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying, I see a lot of modern day Christianity in the picture I just painted for you. Jesus, is he fills boats with fish, man. Yes, He does. But they left it. And not one time in three and a half years or so were they, were they in lack. But they left it. And then when Jesus ascended and gives them the Holy Spirit, it's so interesting that like, their first response before they, they, Jesus ascends is actually to go and fish. But I don't think they went to go and fish because they thought, well, let's go back to our business. I think they didn't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> and they were fishermen. I think they were, they were so distraught and processing so much that it was like, well, we know, we know Jesus, and we know fishing. So we don't know yet what to do with this, so let's go fish. And then Jesus meets them and goes, hey, pull in, let's have some brekkie. <laughs> let's have some breakfast. And I love that picture of Peter, like, jump out the boat, into the water, just like, get to the shore, get to Jesus. Why? Because he, he, he didn't care about fishing. He just didn't know what to do with himself. He's like, oh, let's just go fishing. And, oh, I don't know what this is, you know. And then he sees Jesus, and they recognize him, and he jumps straight out that boat, and he's like, I just want to be with him. So what did these men see? You know, in uh, Hebrews 11, I think, it, yeah, it is Hebrews 11. It talks, it's the... the whole room of the faith legends you know it's like wow they, all these amazing men and women of God and it talks about how they were looking for a homeland they were looking for a city not made with hands now we've been unpacking the book of Revelation and we spoke about the new Jerusalem that it's not actually a literal physical city it's actually us if you haven't been doing uh, the book of Revelation, you need to go back and do these sessions with us because God is un- unveiling something to us as His bride. The new Jerusalem is who we are because it, it can't literally be a cube with one street, right? There's no ways God's going to fit all His believers into a literal cube that's called a city with one street. and It's got to be the new Jerusalem is us, the bride. And so he begins to describe this, and it's interesting that all the way back to Abraham and these men and women, they were looking for a city not made with hands. There was something in them that they knew they were born for. And John saw it. Because in the book of Revelation, it says he saw the holy city descending. And he began to see this dream of God coming to life. Not only did he see the Son of God in glory, not only did he go into this encounter where he sees one like the Son of Man in the midst of the lampstands who begins to speak to the seven churches. There's seven again. Remember in his gospel, seven miracles, seven I am statements. He goes into Revelation and Jesus addresses seven churches. And then you see seven, 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 so many things. So not only does he see this beautiful description of Jesus, the Son of Man, in His glory, in the midst of the lampstands, even though He's correcting and adjusting the church. Hello. He's still in the midst of them. He's writing letters saying, this is what I love. These are the things I don't like. <laughs> and it's okay. Let this, he has an ear to hear. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He's preparing the bride for me. But He's still found in the midst of that church. And he sees this, but not only that, he begins to see the fulfillment of what Jesus has paid a price for. Remember, he was standing at the foot of the cross, and he watched Jesus birth it. He was in the room when Jesus came and revealed himself as resurrected Lord. He watched him ascend into heaven. He was there when the Spirit of Jesus filled the church, and the church was birthed into power. And then he was on an island called My Killing. And he says, yeah, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then he began to get a revelation, a greater revelation, not only of Jesus, but also of the Bride of Christ. Something happens when you get a revelation or a vision of the Son of God and the Bride of Christ that will cause you to leave everything and follow Him. Because suddenly, life situations and circumstances become so insignificant when you're wrapped up in this reality. Can I just say this? And I don't mean this in a nasty way. I'm saying this in love. But my concern is that because we have forgotten how to praise, when we go off the breakthrough, we immediately go to our default of, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Don't strive. Just receive. Just stay here. It's not always like that. The book of Revelation has only two responses to Jesus. One, silence, fall on your face as though dead. Then he has to touch you with his right hand and you stand up. Or two, explosive and exuberant worship. That's what's in the book of Revelation. There's only two expressions. And I think what we're learning as the church, this is, this is for your heart. I hope you take this. I think what we're learning as the church is that there's a difference between straining to get somewhere and bringing your soul into agreement with what your spirit man says that you are. There's a difference between t- trying to strive to get into the presence of the Lord and saying, hey soul, we're in His presence. Get in line. <laughs> now I'm saying that because I can't see Paul and John and Peter and these guys. Oh, okay. Okay. I can't see them worshiping the Lord how sometimes we worship the Lord on a Sunday. I'm just being honest. (laughs) Yeah. Holy. And that's a good, I like that. That's good. But my point is, there's something, there's something that happens to your life when you get a vision for God. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. The whole jail heard them singing. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Paul and Silas in chains, arrested. And, and you know, it's not a cute prison. Like, this is, this is one of those rough, ugly, old school prisons, you know. In fact, I, I did a study on some of them and, you know, they used to put the worst prisoners, which Paul would have been one of them, right in the bottom cell where all the human waste would flow and end up at. So he's him and Silas, you can picture, are probably chained in a pretty nasty, stinky, cold, wet, dark, ugly cell, and they're worshiping him, and the whole prison can hear them. Now either you're a lunatic and you should be in a mental institute, or you got a vision of something, and your life is given to him where Paul can write things like, I might be chained, but the Word of God is not chained. What is he living for? Something's happened to him. I, I hope you're getting my point. This is, I, I'm just trying to provoke you today. I'm not teaching. I, I'm just stirring your heart to say, last night it hit my spirit in a fresh way. Like, what did they see? What did John see? What did he see and live out that 2,000 years later people walk to his grave and get healed? People walk into a house where they once stayed and get healed. <laughs> That's the treasure of His presence. Do you understand how profound it is for a human being to carry the glory of God inside of you? That even when your body's gone, the legacy of your life remains on the earth because you carried the treasure of His presence. I don't know about you, but this stirs something in my heart to go, when I wake up tomorrow morning and it's Monday, what the heck is Monday blues when this is my reality? Why would I be down and depressed and frustrated? In fact, the reason we're down, depressed, and frustrated is because we're making decisions against and outside the will of God. <laughs> right? I had a great time on Sunday because my spirit came alive in the gospel, but then from Monday to Saturday I lived my life counter- or or against, or even in disagreement. We live like unbelievers, (laughs) right? That's harsh. I'm not meaning to be harsh, but it's just real. It's like sometimes we live Monday to Saturday. Not all of us. This is not addressed at you. I'm just speaking broadly that sometimes we live our lives exactly like everybody else, and we wonder why our lives are up and down, our emotions all over the place, and why we have to come to church every Sunday to get a pickup. Pick me up. Oh, yeah, I can. Whew. Let's try this again, another week. And the church remains in the cycle, but with no power and no impact. Because all they're beginning to see is themselves and their weakness and how, you know, yeah, I need Jesus to help me with this, and I need Jesus to help me with that. I need Jesus to fill my boat with fish. And Jesus is saying, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Leave the nets. Now, for some people, it might actually be making decisions to leave A a, a situation, a circumstance, a a work environment, whatever it is, for the assignment of God. For other people, it might just be actually leaving your self-righteous nonsense at home, once and for all. And not trying to do it yourself and stepping into the reality of who He is and waking up every morning to shine and to reveal who Jesus is, knowing that you were born for that. That you're not shaped and defined by the things of this world. Can I just say this? I don't want to stand before Jesus one day. There's people who need to hear this right now. I don't want to come to that time where the two realms, natural and, and, and the spirit realm, become one, and Jesus reveals himself, and there's a perfect bride, and there's him. And then we, we stand there, and he's now written history, and we go, You did a great job, Jesus! <laughs> I doubted, and I wasn't really sure, and so I kind of just you know, lived half-half in between. But hey, well done. No way! I want to stand before him, look in his eyes and go, I was wrapped up in this. I don't even know how this happened, but I was in it. I always say it like this. I don't want to be on the sidelines, on the bench while Jesus writes history. I want to be the pen in his hand. That's what he wants for his church. He's like, I, he wants to. He, it's his joy to co-labor with you. He said this to the disciples in John 20 again. John remembers this as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. John was catching something of the heart of God. And I think there's a lot of people in the church today who are so stuck in their heads. And I want to tell you this, that's the Antichrist. If I can put it like, you need to go watch uh, this, this whole series. Because what we're unveiling is this. Stop looking for an individual and realize that anything that isn't him is anti-him. And there is, a, there is a nature, it's the nature of man that's apart from Jesus. And it's an Antichrist nature. So if you're looking for an Antichrist, he might be in your chair. But when you're born again, that nature dies, and you come into Christ. And guess what? His name is written on your forehead. Your mind is renewed. You're a son. (laughs) Maybe we, oh. (laughs) That's on Thursday. I've got to remember that. We teach on Thursdays. No, I, I just have to say this. I am convinced with all my heart, with all my heart, that the book of Revelation is not as we once assumed it to be. We've been looking for chronological events, and we've missed the same cycle over and over and over again because the book of Revelation is the the unraveling and the revealing of all time and the revelation of Jesus in the midst of that. And so we're looking for a seven-year period, and Jesus is going, it's not seven years. This has happened over and over again over and over again. And in the midst of it, Jesus is being revealed. And there is coming a time, this is what I need you to understand, there's coming a time where the bride will be made ready. And that's what he's coming back for. So isn't it interesting that Paul writes about just once just once I want to clarify this only in one letter does he talk about the fivefold ministry and this is the context that he talks about it in he says i'm going to give these five gifts grace gifts to the church for one reason and we go for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry full stop there's no full stop there make sure you read the whole sentence because the reason why it got so messed up is we stopped there and now what we do is it's the evangelist's job to raise up evangelists it's the prophet's job to raise up prophets it's the apostle's job to raise up apostles What are we talking about? Read the rest of the sentence. He says, for building up the body until what? They they, uh, reach maturity, the maturity and the stature of Christ. So what he's after is a bride that looks like him and he's going to do it. And here's the thing. It's so simple. We've got wrapped up in trying to predict the future because we haven't seen him. And now we write books about it and we, we want to uh, plan it out and, and, and predict and all the things that Jesus said we shouldn't do because, as I said on Thursday, Jesus doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. The picture for me in heaven is there's Jesus. He wants His bride. He's ready to come. And the Father's going, wait. I tarry because I want all to come to know He's delaying because He wants all to come to know Him. Now, yes, will there be people who reject Jesus? Absolutely. But it's interesting that there's a scripture that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth, to all creation, and then the end will come. So He ties the end to the Great Commission. And He goes, there's this command. He, He has this command to the church, first one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. So we have this command and everything else is fulfilled in that command. And then he gives us this the Great Commission, and it's not the Great Suggestion. It's not. It's the Great Commission, and it's a command. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded them, and know that I'm with you to the end of the age. Hello. I find it interesting that Paul, John, Peter, James, none of them took time to try to explain to the church when he's coming back. All they spoke about was what to do until that day. What did they see? They had a vision of God. Stop trying to be God and submit to Him and follow Him. Are you with me? And so when they write these things, it moves me because suddenly I go, they gave their lives to see the gospel advance to the ends of the earth. You know, if, if you don't know this, the Apostle Paul, you know, at the end of Acts, he's arrested in, in Rome, but that's not, that's not the end for him. He actually gets released and then arrested a second time. And uh, very reliable um, theologians and, and early church writers and historians actually say that in that gap, he got to Spain. And there are churches on the coast of Spain to this day that have historical documents as evidence that he planted these churches, right? Now, some would disagree. I'm not even here to say what, whether it did or didn't. But something stirs in my spirit to go, maybe he got to Spain because he said in Rome, I'm heading to Spain. When I get to you, when I get to, to Rome, in Romans, he wrote this, when I get to Rome, uh, you're going to help me to get to Spain. Why? Well, to him, Spain was the end of the earth. They didn't know what was past Spain, <laughs> So I just find it incredible that these men and women of God, I mean, I could highlight some incredible women. The woman at the well, John 4, Fertina, if you study her story, I mean, she ended up before Nero. She was wild. Why? They got a vision of God in their life that they could give everything for Him. So, I look at this and I go, man, how does John end up in Ephesus? How does Peter and Paul end up in Rome? Uh, you, You know, the rest of the 12. I mean, if you study where they were killed and martyred, it was all over the place from India to Ethiopia to Libya. I think they caught something. I think they saw something. I think they were wrapped up in him that they could endure and stay faithful. And I believe what's happening in this time is that the dream of God is becoming the heartbeat of the bride again. It's becoming our reason for existence. It's becoming our purpose. It's becoming why we do what we do. To love Him with everything and to obey Him in the Great Commission. That's why I can say these things with boldness that when it comes to saying yes to nations and regions that don't know who Jesus is, you're either a giver A goer or you're disobedient. And you can be a giver and a goer in different seasons of your life. We've done both. And and the reality is there are times when the Lord calls you to stay and to continue to build. There are times when He asks you to go and to pioneer and, and you've got to listen to the word of the Lord. But the point is, God's looking for spiritual families that will take personal responsibility. And it looks like Loving the kids and looking after them and looking after women, abandoned women and children. I mean, I just found out the the largest demographic on the earth today is abandoned uh, women and children. And so a large part of the Great Commission is going to be reaching them. Hello. And so this is what it looks like. Can I just say this? I think we have to deal with our excuses because it's a matter of destiny. Are you with me? Don't exalt and justify your excuses. Allow them to disconnect you from the dream of God and then one day stand before Him with regret. Deal with your excuses now. It's a matter of destiny. Are you with me? I did not plan on going this way, but... And it's still 10 to 11. i got time it rocked me to be in Middleburg this last weekend. Um, firstly, just want to say, God is doing something in South Africa. Oh my goodness, every, every new place that I'm going to, I'm going, Lord, this is, this is incredible. I met a, a couple, young couple who are leading this church in Middleburg. Middleburg, they're not from Middleburg, they ended up there. Just as much as God wants to send people to Afghanistan and to all these places that are intense, tents, He also wants to send people to Middleburg and Rustenburg and Uppington and Douglas and Pofadder, And there's actually a place called Pofadder. It blew my mind. I thought my dad was joking. We were driving to Upington, and I saw a sign. It said Pofadder Strait. And I was like, what? This is actually... But the reality is God's moving and so we're there and... and I just want to stir your faith because this moved me, okay? I, I've, I've been feeling this, this thing happening with ministries. And a, a large reason for this is because so many of them are itinerant and not submitted to local church. And why I'm saying that is this. There's a pressure that comes, and I watch it come on these different itinerant ministers where they stand up to speak. And the expectation is you need to start praying for people and the fire needs to fall. And it looks the same every time. Why? Because it's manufactured because there's pressure. So as soon as the service ended, right, come to the front now. Body's flying everywhere. Now, yeah, sometimes God does that. I love it. I love those meetings. What worries me is when it's a pattern. What worries me is when it's the same thing. Over and over and over again. And as I've been traveling a little more this year, I'm seeing it more and more. I'm going, Ah. Okay, hold on, Lord. You you want to speak, pause, stop, listen. What is God saying? And so while I'm in Middleburg, I start to feel this thing, man, this pressure. I could feel it in the room. I was like, okay, wrap it up, and let's get to the ministry. Let's get to revival. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like, a, it's like a pseudo ugly, evil spirit thing. That, and so this starts happening. I could feel it in the room. And I am so, so grateful for this incredible pastor because I, I call people to the front, and I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't want to do this. I'm not, I will not fake this thing. Like, I, this might be it, and we're done. And so I turned to the pastor, and I go, hey, what do you feel, man? What do you want to do? And he's got tears in his eyes, and he says to me, he says, bro, I want you to share those stories from the Middle East. And I said, which ones? He goes, no, the really rough ones, the, the ones that you said you don't tell people. And I said, why do you want that? He says, bro, because we need to repent. And I said, of what? And he goes, bro, we've been living a self-centered church life as a community, and, and I believe God wants to shift something in our community to understand his dream and what he's doing in the nations. I said, are you sure? He says, yeah, do it. And so I got up and I began to share these stories. And what happened was he started, he runs to the front, gets on his knees, and people start getting up the church until everybody's up in the front on their knees crying and weeping, beginning to repent. And he grabs the microphone and he begins to lead his community in a prayer of repentance for living a self-centered Christian life, making it all about them making it all about their business, making it all about their family and their success. And he said, we want to be a part of what God's doing across the nations. We want to say yes. We want to see Middleburg turned upside down, but we also want to see nations and people groups and tribes and tongues come to know him. And this is what he prayed. Even if it means the only thing we do is pray, oh, we will pray. And something hit my heart. I was was undone watching this. And you know what happened? Suddenly... People started getting healed. There was a lady. Um, I actually can't remember where it, it fitted into the night, but I just remember she came forward. I grabbed her hand. She said, please pray for my shoulder. I have a frozen shoulder. She was literally, you could see she was in pain. So I grab her hand, and she starts to lift her hand. I'm just holding her hand, praying. and She goes, and she's like, just in faith, just going, I'm going to do it. I'm activating my faith. She starts to lift her hand, and she, her eyes open up. And she goes all the way to the top, and then she goes, yes! Yes! That's I didn't do anything. I just touched her hand. And she, her face, she just went, I'm taking it. It's mine. And she lifts her hand. And suddenly, her shoulder has full mobility. And she starts freaking out. She's like, God's going to heal shoulders in the room tonight. you know. And so now we're going after shoulders. and <laughs> I love it. So God begins to move. But what gripped my heart was seeing an authentic expression. Here's a local pastor who said, hey, me and my community, we, we don't want the counterfeit. We don't want the fake. We don't want to manufacture anything. Actually, we, we just want the heart of God. In Middleburg. Are you with me? God's doing something. We're getting a vision for God in the church again. The church doesn't exist for man. It exists for God. It's not a hospital for, for the broken. It's not. The broken come and the byproduct is that you get transformed and, and healed and set free and made new. That's beautiful. But it's not a hospital for the broken because hospitals only just try and repair and, 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 and fix. The church is a place where regeneration takes place, where you're born again, where you're, it's a new life, you die, it, it, it's, it's, yeah. So this stirs my heart, and, and I, I'm sharing this with you because only you can steward your yes to Jesus. And I just want to say this, it actually means something to say yes to him. <laughs> It really does. And my concern is that, you know, the grace of God is so radical and wild. We've been preaching on it. You need to go and listen to all those sermons. But we've been talking about how radical, how outrageous the grace of God is. That you could, you could literally still be stuck in, in, in sin and God still looks at you and sees Himself. It's that good. But there's nobody who has beheld God and stayed the same. The grace of God in its purity transforms us. Are you with me? If it's a message that allows us to stay the same, all I do is encourage you to say, maybe you didn't get the full message. Because it's not just a message that saves. It's also a message that transforms and empowers. Because I just want to say this real clear. The Apostle Paul, who theologians would say, they call him the champion of grace. Because of the revelation. I mean, if you read Romans, it is a masterpiece. (laughs) A theological masterpiece in how he communicates the grace of God. And yet here's a man who goes, the Holy Spirit told me that in every city, beatings and imprisonment await me. And the grace of God empowered him to say yes to suffering. (laughs) See, because you've got to be real careful. You take a false prosperity gospel and try and mix it with a diluted grace message and what you get is perversion. But the purity of the gospel of His grace does something to your life. That causes you to say yes, no matter the cost, because it's not a cost anymore. It's a cost when you get born again. Just so you know, there is a cost. It's giving up your own life, dying to yourself, which happened 2,000 years ago on the cross, receiving that death, and also receiving the resurrection life, so that you come into newness of life, Romans 6 says, habitually, day by day. And now, your purpose for living has changed. It's not comfort. It's not success. It's not understanding. It's the dream of God. And it's the dream of God, even when you don't get it. How do you say yes? Like, I'm just being real. There are times, I've been in the Middle East, and there are days where you go, why am I here? I paid all this money to be here. (laughs) That's what goes through my head. I paid all this money to be here. I want to start praying for some people, man. And God goes like, go wash their dishes. Just go love them. Just go sit with them. Go listen to their stories. And then suddenly God begins to move. And, and then you see God do amazing things. But that the whole point is his dream. See, he's going to do it, and he's looking for a bride that will co-labor with him. He's going to fulfill the Great, great Commission. It's going to happen. I just want to make sure I'm a part of that. What if it's us? Can you imagine? And the the reason why I can say that with with excitement in my heart is because the millennials were the first generation in history to have all the statistics and all the ability to do it. We know where they are. Unrich people groups, people who don't know Jesus, we know where they are, we know what languages they speak, we know how much it's going to cost to get there, and we have the ability to get there. The only thing between us and the, the fulfillment of the Great Commission is go. Wow. That'll wake you up on a Sunday morning. And I say this also in this context, and I think it's important to clarify. We've got to be real careful. I'm seeing it now. We're training teams, and and yeah, especially our our students. They've got it quite tough, but but there's more coming, especially for the turkey team. You don't know it yet. Brace yourself. But we've got to be real careful of this Western fantasy idea of missions. It's a self-centered perspective on missions, and it is not the gospel. It's not him. It's not results-orientated. It's not. It's a present-centered, Jesus-focused, love-driven go. And you don't get to come back and decide or rank or rate how good you think it was. It's not up to you. Your job is yes. That's it. Now, that's for you tomorrow because I don't know if you know this, but you're not in joburg because the money's here. You're here because God put you here. So you're in your mission field. So tomorrow you get to wake up and say, Lord, I want to be wrapped up in the wonder, the beauty, the brilliance of who you are. I want to be so wrapped up. I want to be someone who they would speak of and say, what did he see? Sometime soon, I don't know when, but maybe before the end of the year or maybe beginning of next year, we're going to do a whole series on Antioch. And we're going to talk about spiritual families that take personal responsibility to see whole regions come to know Jesus. And you know what it's centered around? (laughs) Laitogeo. What? Laitogeo. It's a Greek word. It means this, priestly rhythm of life. It's a present-centered community. It's a community that went after seeing Jesus. And what happened in that process is they got gripped. (laughs) They caught the heart of God, and suddenly they were praying for people in places they didn't even know existed. They were seeing something of the bigness of what God was doing. And if you don't have communities like Antioch, we don't sit in rooms like this. If you don't get communities like Antioch, you don't get Paul the Apostle, which means you don't get two-thirds of the New Testament. If you don't get Antioch, you don't get Ephesus, you don't get Rome. You don't get us. One community that became a pivot point that literally transitioned the church from a a Jewish movement into a global movement of salvation. We're going to dive into that. I'm excited for that. So some of you... What, what the Lord's doing is he, he's just, he's like stirring your heart again. He's lighting you up. He's reawakening your love for Jesus. Um, I think there might even be some of you that are like, whoa, I don't know if, I've, if I have, have that perspective or vision. And maybe today your heart's been gripped to go like, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. And he's so faithful, man. I, you know, It's interesting that his only instruction was to wait for the Holy Spirit. Like, don't do anything, wait. When he comes, begin. <laughs> and when they did wait for him and the Holy Spirit came, everything clicked into line. And suddenly you got guys like Peter who, you know, a couple of days earlier, a couple of weeks earlier was literally broken and completely his identity was shattered to a couple of weeks later, full of the Holy Spirit, standing up and preaching the gospel and the church is born. That's the difference that Holy Spirit makes. So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would fill us afresh. And reveal Jesus to us, that we'd, be, be, that we'd behold Him and be wrapped up in Him so we can live the life that God's called us to live. It's a wild, glorious adventure in Jesus. It is. And it's filled with hardship. And affliction. And pain. And persecution. Yay! <laughs> but it's glorious. It's beautiful. And it's worth it. Why? Because He's worthy. And yes, it's hard and it feels like a cost when you're not looking at Him. When you see Him and you're wrapped up in in that, when you've seen, it's not a cost anymore. It's my great privilege because as the Father sent Jesus, so He sends me. Amen.